Exodus chapter 20. So we have already spent quite a number of weeks on the Ten Commandments, and we are going to spend quite a number more because they are such a gold mine of revelation about who God is and what He wants from us. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would teach us to love your precepts, the good commandments of your law. Help us to lift up your name to fullness as we speak it and as we live it out, as we carry it around on our persons. Help me to speak your name rightly, to speak of you what is right, like Job did. And help us all to listen and be changed by the power of your word to become law keepers who honor the name of our living God. We pray these things, Father, in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, as we have seen, the first commandment is about which God to have. The second commandment is about how to worship that God. And the third commandment is how to deal with, how to handle the character and identity of that God. Literally translated, the third commandment, verse 7, is, you shall not lift up to emptiness the name of Yahweh. If you translate that word, hebel, as emptiness instead of vanity. To lift up God's name to emptiness is the thing forbidden in the commandment, and therefore... The commandment requires us to use God's name and bear God's name with fullness, or what we would better call holiness and reverence. The third commandment requires us to use God's name and bear God's name with holiness and reverence. So there are two different kinds of lifting up. We can lift up God's name, as I've already said several times, by saying it, or we can lift it up by bearing it, by being called by that name. But before we talk about the two kinds of lifting it up, first we have to know what the name is. If you notice, all the, the first five commandments all contain the name. First commandment, I am the Lord your God. Second commandment, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Third commandment, the name of the Lord your God. Fourth commandment, the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Fifth commandment, the land which the Lord your God 
is giving you. God repeats his name over and over in these first five commandments. He wants us to know his name. And this fits with the whole context of Exodus. Exodus is the book of the knowledge of God. The issue right from the beginning is Pharaoh does not know Joseph in chapter 1. And very soon Pharaoh is saying, who is Yahweh? I do not know Yahweh. Neither will I let Israel go. So who is the Lord? That is the question that the book of Exodus answers. It gives us the name. Moses says, what is his name? And God says, my name is I am who I am. And in Hebrew, that verb sounds like Yahweh. Yahweh, I am. So God has revealed his name. He's told us who he is. He's also revealed other names. Not just the name Yahweh. The name Yahweh, as we talked about about a year ago, means he is the self-sufficient one. We pray to him as Yahweh because he is. I am who I am, not I am what circumstances have made me. I am all I can be. No, he is the one who defines and decides what he is. He sets the limits to his own power, as it were. He is self-existent, self-sufficient, underived, dependent on nothing and no one. That's what the name Yahweh means, that he is the source of everything and in need of nothing. We can imagine this philosophically. Everyone at one time or another has pursued that concept of the infinite regress. Why is the sky blue? Well, why is that the case? And if you ask why five or six times, you have to come back to something along the lines of because that's who God is. Not the world sits on the back of a turtle. What does the turtle sit on? He sits on the back of a bigger turtle. What does that turtle sit on? An even bigger turtle. Well, what does the last turtle stand on? No, it's turtles all the way down. That, that doesn't work. God has a name, and his name is I Am. There is nothing he needs to stand on. Everything stands on him. He's also revealed his name as Yeshua, as Jesus, which is short for Yahweh saves, as the angel tells Joseph and Mary, or Joseph in the Gospel of Luke, or is it Matthew? Anyway, the angel says it that his name is Jesus, and that means that he will save his people from his sins. So God has revealed himself not only as Yahweh, the self-existent, self-sufficient one who needs nothing and has everything and makes everything. He has also revealed himself as the one who is concerned about us and who reaches out to save us. Already, the name Yahweh revealed that in the book of Exodus. Because why were God and Moses having that conversation? Because God had called Moses to the bush and said, Go deliver Israel from Egypt. I'm sending you to save my people. And Moses said, what is your name? 
And I can't save the people for an anonymous deity. And God says, I am who I am. Yahweh saves. He saved at the Exodus. He saved preeminently at the cross of Jesus Christ. Finally, the third major name revealed in Scripture is the name that Jesus mentions in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name, the singular name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It is one name for one God, and yet it is three persons, each one of whom bears one of those names. Not the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has revealed himself not just as the one who is, not just as the Yahweh who saves, but as the one who is three in person, simultaneously one God. Fully three in three persons, each of whom fully possesses the one unitary, singular, divine nature. This name of God tells us that God is love, that the Father begets the Son, and that the love between the Father and the Son is the fire of the Holy Spirit. So God has revealed these names to us. But it's not just the names, as we read in the Catechism, it is anything God uses to make himself known. Why is that? Because to know God's name is a step toward the ultimate goal, which is to know God. We can imagine, perhaps, that there's a human being that you've gotten to know fairly well. But is it possible to imagine that you could truly say you know someone well when you don't? know their name. Every once in a while you'll have that great conversation with the airplane seat mate and you'll feel like you're soulmates, you know the person. But if you don't get their name, if you don't continue the relationship, it lasts for a few hours and it's dead. To know the name of God is about knowing God. And to know God involves not just the names Yahweh, Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It involves a knowledge of all that he is and all that he does. It's the two, it's the interaction of the two. If I read down the columns in the telephone book, I may learn a lot of names. But I have no idea who these people are. I don't know them, even if I somehow have some information regarding their name. Simultaneously, I can go to an event, meet a lot of people, hear about them, and then walk away saying, oh man, I don't remember the name of a single person that I met. But to know the name and to know who the name belongs to and who that person is, that is what names are for. And that is what this commandment is about. The name of God is everything he uses to make himself known. He didn't just say, hi, I'm Yahweh, nice to meet you. He tells us stories of who he is, how he interacted with Adam, with Noah, with Moses, with Abraham, with David, 
and many more. This whole book is different stories about interactions that God had with human beings, revealing himself, showing us who he is, telling us his name. One of the major things, in fact, that he uses to make himself known is these very Ten Commandments, where, as I said in the first five, he repeats Yahweh your God, Yahweh your God, Yahweh your God, in each commandment to remind you whose commandment it is. It is the commandment of the God whose name is I Am. So we have to know God's name before we can even think about keeping this commandment. How could you say, don't take the name of Deity X in vain? No fear of that, Moses. I have no idea who Deity X might be. Or Paul's altar in Athens, to the unknown God. Well, I won't take that one's name in vain. Because God has revealed himself, we have now the ability to say his name and to bear his name. How do we say his name to fullness? If you listen to old preachers talk, you will hear them. They all, all of us do it. We have this way of saying the word God. And it descends often in older ministers into something approaching self-parody where the voice drops about an octave and they adopt this really pompous way of saying God. And you think, I don't think that's honoring God. You, it's so fake. Yes, there's something to that. You know, if you listen to people pray, you will hear that their voice sounds different when they pray. It takes on a different tone because they're not talking to you anymore. They're talking to God and they speak to him differently than they speak to you. But saying God's name to fullness involves way, way more than just being sure that you always drop your voice a little bit and slow down and emphasize the Lord Jesus Christ, when you say his name. So, how do we say God's name to fullness? Well, number one, we have to think about what we're doing as we talk about God. He's not a doornail to be casually invoked. The words God, Lord, Jesus, Christ, etc., shouldn't just spill out of our mouths without thinking. We should always say his name like we believe in him and like we fear him. In other words, the way we talk about politicians or entertainers is not the way that we should be talking about God. We also need to say his name to fullness in oaths. We read that in Deuteronomy 10 a few moments ago. You shall swear by his name. Now, there are people in this congregation who are or were sworn officers of Campbell County Sheriff's Office or of the state of Wyoming. What is a sworn officer? Well, that's somebody whose position is so important that they have to take an oath in order to fill that position. To swear an oath is to call God as witness and say, if I'm lying, God will know and God will punish me. Thus, George Washington added to the oath of office in the Constitution the words, so help me God. And that is appropriate for a Christian to do. 
because it is explicitly invoking God and saying in your oath, God, I take this seriously. I know that you know whether I'm telling the truth and you will know whether I keep this oath. Now, Jesus tells us to be careful about oaths, that the vast majority of the time our bare word should be enough because people know that we fear God. But there are occasions where an oath is appropriate. And we should, in those cases, not swear by the temple or the gold of the temple or by my head or by my faith or by my foot or by CNN Plus or whatever comes into your mind, you should swear by the name of God. Your foot won't know whether you kept your oath. God will know. So saying God's name to fullness involves always keeping the oaths that you swear. If you swear to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, so help you God, God will not hold you guiltless if you break that oath. He will know, and he will exact the punishment from you. The punishment is unspecified, but it certainly says that God will not hold you guiltless. So finally, we should use God's name. Well, not finally, but we should use God's name to fullness in our worship. And exhibit A here is prayer. All of you, all of us, have heard someone pray in a way where it seems that he doesn't take God's name seriously at all because God's name is every third or fourth word of the prayer. And just Jesus, we just, Jesus wants you to know Jesus. That is taking God's name seriously in vain. That counts as what Jesus called the vain repetitions. That's lifting up God's name to emptiness. But we can also lift up God's name to emptiness when we pray half-heartedly, when we pray distractedly, when we pray insultingly. How, what's that? Well, a prayer, a prayer that sounds like a letter to Santa. Please, God, give me this, give me that, give me the other thing. Give me a few of those and a few of these and some of that and some of this and give me a big cherry on top. Amen. Uh, The mothers in the room have all had occasion to say, that's not how you talk to your father. Dads in the room have said, that's not how you talk to your mother. Well, there are certain prayers that make the godly want to say, that's not how you talk to your father. You don't sound like you think God is your father when you speak to him that way. All of our prayers should lead anyone who listens to say, that person knows God as father. The same goes for our praise. We don't want to model ourselves on the pagans and shout, great is Jesus of the Christians for two hours. That's not taking God's name to fullness. It's taking it up to emptiness. So our praise should be thoughtful. We should sound like we know what we're talking about and like we are using God's name in fullness. Same goes for teaching about God. There's this one theologian that I read, Oliver Crisp from Fuller Seminary, and I can't stand the guy because his prose style is so flippant. 
he just writes about holy things and seems to dash it off like he doesn't really care and it's all a big joke to him. And the guy drives me bonkers. This is somebody who, in my opinion, takes the name of the Lord in vain. He doesn't seem to have any conviction about the weightiness of the matters that he addresses. We have to speak of God in an honoring way whenever we invoke him. Now, probably you all knew that we need to talk about God rightly, take oaths rightly, worship rightly. But the biggest sin of the church in this area, I think, is that we are often attaching God's name, often guilty of attaching God's name, to causes and people that he has not authorized. Now, here in the United States, I don't know if we have any explicitly Christian parties. Certainly none of them are mainstream. Uh, One of the largest parties in Germany is called the Christian Democratic Union. And there are other parties in Europe with the word Christian in their name. But that is not appropriate. God has not baptized those parties. Nor should we baptize any party in our system. The quickest way, as I said this morning in Sunday school, to drag God's name through the mud is to hitch it to a politician. Politics is a food fight. Claiming that God is on the side of drenching the adversary in tomato sauce doesn't make his name holy. Claiming that God is on the side of smearing cake on the other party doesn't make his name holy. Right, far, far from it. I think the church is failing in this area. That we far too easily attach the name of God to people, to causes, to certain policy positions that are certainly acceptable in themselves, but that are not, that do not have the imprimatur of the Lord our God. Everyone in here is free to be a political pundit and pontificate about world affairs and the economy and the state of the country and everything else as much as they desire. But as soon as you start to confuse your opinions on these things with God's opinions on these things, God will not hold you guiltless if you attach his name to your punditry. He swears that he won't. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Uh, My medical opinions, your medical opinions, my financial views or my financial plans, your views on foreign policy, my views on foreign policy, great. But none of them are God's views on medicine, foreign policy, financial options, and all the rest. And the church goes on its merry way. We saw in Sunday school a couple of years ago, how it's gone, gotten to the ridiculous point, for instance, of Vatican II calling for comprehensive unemployment insurance in the name of God. <clears throat> That's what happens when you start to attach the name of God to various political causes. God's name is to be attached only to the things we know he supports. That would be love, joy, and peace. That would be uprightness. That would be these Ten Commandments. That would be baptizing, making disciples, and teaching them to obey Jesus. That would be having no other gods. 
and keeping God's worship pure. God supports those things. But to say, for instance, God wants animals to roam free, therefore we should not drill in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Or to come back on the other side and say, no, God wants people to be warm, therefore we should drill in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Right? It said this morning that those who say the world is a completely secular place are liars. But it's also true that many policy positions, such as whether to drill in a certain spot, are not things to which God has attached his name one way or the other, and therefore not things that his people should attach his name to either. He doesn't endorse particular candidates. He doesn't endorse particular platforms. He doesn't endorse particular pundits. So we have to say God's name to fullness, and that means we have to be very sure that he has authorized everything we attach his name to. But God has attached his name to us. He is not ashamed to be called our God. God may not endorse a politician, but he has, in a certain sense, endorsed you and called you Christian. He has given you his own Name, 1 Peter 4, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Who put that name on you? Jesus did. And of course, Second Chronicles 7.14, one of those famous verses, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, God's people are called by his name. Old Testament people, New Testament people, 1 Peter, 2 Chronicles We carry the name of God. And that means we need to be very careful how we live. Our life reflects on his name. The way we live, where we go, what we do, what we eat, what we drink, what we watch, what we drive, reflects on the name of God. Now there, again, are people who take this too far Oh, you can't drive that car? That's a bad testimony. Don't eat meat? That's a bad testimony. Don't drink alcohol? That's a bad testimony. And again, they have started attaching the name of God to things that he has not attached his name to. But all the same, where things where God has spoken, such as these Ten Commandments, we bear his name. And we are called to live up to that. So make God weighty in your life. The opposite of fullness is vanity, is emptiness. But the opposite of emptiness is also weightiness. God should be the heavyweight in your thinking, in your decision making, in your lifestyle, in your passions. This commandment requires that God be the heaviest influence in your life. So where do we turn to see someone keeping this commandment? We turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as the ultimate one who bore his Father's name. We've established that in our custom for a long time now in our, uh, in our culture, that the Son takes the Father's name. 
Whatever your last name is as a father is passed on automatically to your children. Well, the Son of God bears his father's name. He too is Yahweh. He too is I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And he honored his father's name. He never took it in vain. He always bore it to fullness and he always set it to fullness. So if you look on your life and say, wow, I've hitched God's name to things that I had no business hitching God's name to. I remember as a teenager, I briefly flirted with a political platform. I run on the, the campaign to ban electric guitars. Now, I don't think I attach God's name to that. But if I had, right, that would be something to repent of. And I have repented of that. Even without attaching God's name to it. But when you look at your life and say, wow, yeah, I have besmirched God's name and we all have. What do you do? You look to his son who took God's name never in vain, never to emptiness, always to fullness, always in weightiness, always in holiness. And the father did hold him guiltless. And if you're in him, you're guiltless too. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to say your name well and to bear your name well. Help us to thank God that we suffer as Christians if we are called upon to do that. Help us to praise you that we have the opportunity to bear that name, whether we suffer as Christians or are blessed as Christians or likely experience a mixture of both. Father, help us to be your people who are called by your name, who humble themselves and pray. And rather than attaching your name to every political cause under the sun, rather start to seek your face. Help us to know the difference between our opinion and your opinion, between punditry and thus saith the Lord. We pray this, Father, in the name of your Son, who perfectly represents all that you are, all that your name means. Amen.